You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. And I sincerely hope that each and every one of you out there has had a fantastic Memorial Day weekend with all the people that you care most about in your lives as we honor those who gave the ultimate sacrifice to help make and keep our country the greatest country in all of human history, at least as far as I'm concerned. Whether you were living that lake life over the weekend, cooking out with friends and family, going to see the new Top Gun movie, which... I'm sure you've already heard this 4,000 times, but if you haven't, please go see that movie. Incredible. I saw it Thursday afternoon, so an early screening. We have this new theater in Athens. It's called B&B Theater. I actually didn't even know it was being built until about a month ago. I kind of drove by it. It's kind of an area on Lexington Road that I don't really drive by all that often, but I was out there a couple weeks ago, and I saw that they, I knew they had closed down the old car mic there, and I saw that they were, it looks like they were opening something up again. I was like, oh, what's going on here? So I looked it up, and it's this new theater that I had never heard of. Some of you uh, may have heard of it, but it's it's a small chain of theaters. It's growing, I guess. They're looking to expand, but it's called B&B Theater. It's taking over that old car mic theater on Lexington Road, and they have this screen. It's called Screen X, and I had heard about this but I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. I thought maybe it's just another kind of IMAX type thing, and it's it's not really that. It's not that it's a giant screen. It plays on all sides of you. I guess, well, it plays on the front and the two sides. It doesn't play behind you because what purpose would that serve, obviously? And so I was intrigued. I was like, okay, it plays on the wall, but like, how is that going to work? How does the screen wrap around you? Like, I don't know. We'll, we'll go and see, and we'll figure it out. And I figured Top Gun would be like the ideal movie to see what this whole Screen X thing was all about. And I went in there, like, I thought it would be cool, but I didn't go in there with like extraordinarily high expectations because at this point, like, even in IMAX, like, that's kind of lost its luster. It's still cool, but, you know, I've seen in, I've seen movies on IMAXs plenty of times now where, yeah, it's cool. It's better than, like, the typical screen, but it's not some surreal experience anymore. But the Screen X, as far as I was concerned, at least with Top Gun, totally lived up to the hype. It was kind of disorienting at first, as it truly does. It's like an extended version of the movie. Like It has just a... Like, when I walked in there, I was like, what's unique about this? It's just a regular screen. But then the movie comes on, and boom, it's playing on all, on all sides. I mean, it's not the entire movie that plays on all, on all sides at all times. 
It's just like the big action sequences. It's a very cool, immersive experience. So I highly recommend that if you're in the Athens area or if you have a B&B theater near you, give it a shot. Check it out. It's kind of expensive. It was 20 bucks, but I mean, ticket prices for movies are going up anyway. I normally just go to the matinee and pay like six bucks over at Beachwood because it's cheap. Not the best theater, not the best screens, but hey, it's six bucks. Who cares? So I kind of splurged on this. And uh, I will say it was totally worth it. But the movie, fantastic. I know that you've heard that from every single person that has seen it. That's not news to you. But I did see it Thursday, and I just want to be at least one more person tell you, if you haven't, go see that movie. But regardless, whatever it was that you were doing, I hope you guys had a fantastic time over the long weekend. I truly hope you guys enjoyed the heck out of it. I actually just got back home, just got back in the door about an hour ago from a quick weekend getaway to Chicago myself, which I know for most of you out there is probably not a traditional or super desirable way to celebrate Memorial Day weekend, but I love Chicago. Chicago is one of my favorite cities. I know that's not a universal thought, especially people down here in the South don't love it really anywhere up North, but I love Chicago. I'm just, I'm not a beach guy. I'm not a lake guy. I'm not really a cookout guy. I, I know I'm the weird one. I'm weird like that. You guys are normal. I'm weird. I understand that. I embrace that. I'm more of a good restaurants, bars, comedy shows, concerts, that kind of guy. And Chicago was essentially built for all of those things. So for me and what I like to do, it's a great fit. Like a lot of people go to the beach for summer vacations and family trips and all that kind of thing. I just go to places like Chicago. I know that's not relaxing for everybody, but that is my way to kind of relax and unwind. But again, who cares? Who cares what I do in my leisure time? That's not interesting to anybody. The moral of the story is this. One of the newer extra added benefits of going to Chicago and a couple other cities around the country now is that sports gambling has now been legalized in some of these states. There's a number of them now. Illinois, New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Arizona, Virginia, Tennessee, Louisiana, and the list goes on and on. Georgia, of course, as I'm sure a lot of you well know, is not one of those states in our infinite wisdom. Our state has declined to pursue that. It's a whole thing in Georgia. It require a constitutional amendment to the state constitution, and it's not going to happen anytime soon. I've come to terms with that. So when I get to go to states where it is legal, I enjoy placing a better two on sports. I'm not a degenerate gambler by any stretch of imagination. I don't have enough money to be a degenerate gambler. I'm too risk averse to be a degenerate gambler, but I do love sports. I do love college sports in particular, and I'm deeply invested in it. I know a lot about it. So when I get the opportunity to, I like to responsibly place bets on sporting events. It's fun. I enjoy it. I have a good time doing it. It puts a lot more stakes on games that otherwise I really wouldn't care all that much about. And you know, winning some money every now and then, that never hurts either. So yeah, it's something I enjoy. And knowing that I was making this trip to Chicago over the weekend, knowing that I was going to be able to place some bets with some of these US-based sports books, I went to work. I went to work, guys. I've spent the past two weeks or so since I've started to see a lot more of these lines released just deep diving into all these win totals, early season lines, the whole nine yards, all that stuff. I've got helmet schedules printed out, sheets and sheets of notes. I've been watching games from last year for weeks now. So yeah, I was ready when I got to Chicago over the weekend. I had my bets ready to go. I knew exactly what games I wanted to bet on, what teams I wanted to bet on for the overs, unders, their win totals, all that stuff. I was ready to go. 
And now I am ready on this episode today to give you my take on some of my favorite win totals and lines. I've been on a dopamine rush over the past two weeks, not really so much about the gambling part. That's just that's just fun. It's an extra added benefit. It's cool. But just being able to really zero in on college football here in the month of May, and I'm talking like actually deep diving these teams, the rosters, returning starters, transfers, digging into the tape, going back, spending my weekends watching all these games from last year. It's kind of like I've been in a in-season mode over the past two weeks, and I've loved every single second of it. So with all that in mind, plus the fact that I was out of town this weekend for Memorial Day weekend, didn't have a ton of time, really any time at all because I was not here, to sit down and actually prep an episode, to create an outline, to take the notes, to look up numbers, stats, all that stuff that I typically do for an average episode, I didn't really have time to do. So I didn't want to just not give you guys an episode here. I didn't want to leave you hanging because that's just not what we're about here on the Glory UGA podcast. We don't roll like that. So without the time to do all those things that I normally do for an episode, I had to kind of think about it for a minute or two and say, okay, well, what can I do? What am I ready to talk about right now? And the realization came pretty quickly. Well, I have actually spent the past two weeks diving head first, doing a cannonball into all these win totals and early season college football lines. So why not just use all that research that you spent so much time putting together and talk some hardcore college football? Because that's really what I love doing. It's hard to do that all that much this time of year, because even though we're getting closer to the season, it's getting here. I think we're we're under 100 days now, right? I know a lot of you guys do the whole countdown thing. I don't partake in the countdown because it just makes it seem further away for me, but you guys do you. If that helps you, pass the time by all means do what you got to do it just makes it seem longer for me so I don't do that whole thing but I I know that we're under 100 days but college football coverage kind of goes dormant here for a month or so as we head into these summer months so you're not going to get a ton of hardcore college football talk for most outlets until probably like early July early mid-July really once you hit the media days that's when college football coverage picks up tremendously But we're not going to wait that long. Now, we do these episodes pretty much every year where we talk about win totals and early season lines. But even here on our show, we usually wait until mid to late June before we start doing that. But you know what, guys? We've been talking storylines for a couple of weeks now, and I'm tired of it. I'm just so tired of it already. Doing this deep dive into all these win totals and early season lines made me realize just how much I miss college football. And I want to talk some hardcore ball. That's what I want to do on today's episode. That's what I love to do. And that is what we're going to do. So let's get to it. And since this is nominally a Georgia Bulldogs podcast, let's start with some of the early lines that I have seen out there for our games. And I guess I should also put this out there. Not every sports book has their win total lines out yet. Some do, some don't. Some have individual game lines going out it's like mid-october already some don't have any out some have the first week of lines out so i'm kind of picking and choosing you that's what you have to do when you're trying to pick which lines you like best you have to shop around and don't really have loyalty specifically to one of the sports books you just got to find what line works best for you and right now i'm operating primarily off of the barstool sports app and this is not me trying to promote barstool or anything like that i know some people love barstool some people don't i'm not taking sides either way i'm just strictly talking sports betting here and i'm using the barstool sports app primarily because they have far more extensive college football lines for the coming 2022 season than 
any other sports book out there that I have seen. I've looked at Caesars, I've looked at MGM, I've looked at FanDuel, DraftKings, PointsBets, all those different sites. Barstool has more lines than all of them. And of course, different sports books have different lines. They're all kind of in the same ballpark, but they're not identical. So obviously, just putting that out there, a little caveat. But let's start with Georgia's win total. Now, this is pretty much across the board. Most of these different sports books that I've looked at have set our win total, our initial win total, at 11.5. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I did not bet on us to go over 11.5, but I also did not bet on us to go under 11.5. I just stayed away from that line. I'll tell you guys what I bet on, but in all honesty, I just stayed away from our win total. It's not really that I don't think that we can go undefeated. I do. If you look at our schedule, I think it's very favorable. There are some potential landmines I think will pop up. I think the road trip at the end of the year, back-to-back road trips to Mississippi State and Lexington, Kentucky, we are better than both those teams, but that's coming late in the season off the heels of playing Florida and Jacksonville, Tennessee at home, and then you want to you want to get a deep breath, and then you're going to, you're going to go to Starkville, Mississippi. All those cowbells going to be clanging, and I'll talk about them a little bit later. I think Mississippi State is going to be a sneaky good football team this year. And we know what kind of program Mark Stoops runs in Lexington. That Kentucky team is always strong, physical, well-coached. That is a good football team this year. There's going to be no exception. I don't think that they're going to be an elite team, but they are good. And if we don't bring our A game, I think either one of those teams could be capable of beating us if they play like above their heads, bring their A game, and we kind of sleepwalk through, which we haven't been doing much lately the past couple years. But hey, anything's possible. So I would say those are potential trap games back to back. But in totality, you look at the schedule. What are the toss-up games that when you look at them, you think you go either way? And that's what, that's what I call a toss-up game. When I'm doing these guys, when I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do I think a team is going to land on with their win total? Are they going to go over 11 and a half? Are they going to go under 11 and a half? Over eight, under eight? The way I do this is I pick every game on their schedule. That's why I have like all these helmet schedules for all these different conferences, and I pick every single game. And for me to place a wager on your team to go over a certain number of wins, I have to project you with my own projections to go over that number by at least two games. So let's say if your over-under is six, and I have done your schedule, I've gone up and down your schedule, picked every game, and I think you're gonna, you're gonna win eight games, that's what I have you projected to do, then I will place a wager on you because I feel pretty strongly about that. But let's say if the win total is six, and I'm looking at them, okay, I think you're gonna win seven, but you can maybe lose that game, there's a couple of toss-ups in here, then I usually shy away from those games. And I define a toss-up as a game that could truly go either way, that I just don't really have a strong read on this far out. Like for example, I think Florida and Kentucky, that game's in Gainesville this year, to me, that's a toss-up. I think that game could go either way. I could see Kentucky going in there to, to Gainesville and winning that football game. I could see Florida getting revenge for last year's loss. I could see that going either way. To me, that is a toss-up game. And usually when when it's toss-ups, what I do is I go down team schedule, and I'll, I will predict, okay, I think you're going to win this game, but I also think it's a toss-up. And let's say the team has four toss-ups. Usually, I just have them split the difference. Okay, there's four toss-up games. Let's just say, on average, you're going to win half those. So let's say I'll give you two of those wins. That's usually how I go about it. It's not scientific by any stretch of the imagination, but it has worked really well for me in years past. And I'm hoping, knock on wood, that it works well for me again this year. But I bring up toss-ups when talking about our 2022 football schedule because I don't know where those games are on our schedule. Where are the toss-up games? Where are the games when you look at it on paper, when you look at our schedule, you're like, 
oh man, I don't know, that one could go either way. I don't see those games. Alabama in 2020 was one of those games. Yeah, I know it was in Tuscaloosa. Maybe you get Bama the slight edge, but I also had confidence that we could go in there and win that game. Obviously, we know how that played out. We had a halftime lead, played really well in the first half, left some points out there, and then kind of just fell apart in the second half. We lose that game. But going into the season, that was a toss-up game to me. Alabama could have won that game. Sure, we could have won that game. You just didn't know at the beginning of the season. It could have gone either way. I think Clemson last year, coming into 2021, was another toss-up game. I think coming in to that season, you could sit there and reasonably say, Georgia could win this game. Clemson could win this game. It wouldn't surprise me either way. But again, where are those games on our schedule this year? I don't see them. I'm not saying we can't lose a game. That's certainly something that could happen. Obviously, that could happen. Alabama lost at AM last year. Alabama was way better than AM. They somehow lost that game. Good teams lose games. It happens. Going undefeated in the regular season in back-to-back years is a very difficult proposition in the SEC in modern college football. It's difficult. I'm not saying that we're impervious to losing. That's not the case at all. But when you look at it on paper, where are those games? Where are the toss-up games? I know some people might look at the beginning of the schedule and say, Oregon, that could be a toss-up game. I don't think so. Could Oregon beat us? Sure, that's possible. And we'll, we'll dig into this game a little bit more here in a minute when I talk about the week one line. That's possible, but if you look at last year's results, you look at that Oregon roster, you look at the fact they have an entirely new coaching staff, you look at what we have returning, especially on offense. I know we lose a lot on defense, but you look at the rosters, you look at the coaching staff, you look at the experience, you look at all those things, and you look at the fact that it's also in Atlanta, Georgia. I have a hard time sitting here on May 30th saying, yeah, week one against Oregon, that's a toss-up game. Again, Oregon could beat us. That's not outside their own possibility. However, I would certainly give us the edge as every single sportsbook out there in America is doing right now. We are more than a two touchdown favorite on every single sportsbook site that I have seen. So that's not a toss-up game. I know South Carolina fans want you to think week three in Columbia, South Carolina is a toss-up game. Get out of my face with that. We'll talk about Carolina here in a few minutes, but no, get out of my face with that. It's not a toss-up game. I know Florida fans probably want you to think that, but no, it's not a toss-up game in Jacksonville. We are far better than Florida. Our roster's in a far better spot. That's not changing in one year. Maybe Bill Napier in a couple years can change the game with his recruiting, but not this year. It's not happening. Tennessee in Athens, it's not a toss-up game. Again, like Oregon, could Tennessee maybe possibly some way, somehow come into Athens and pull off a major upset? Yeah, sure, I guess. It's college football. But that is not a toss-up game. That's not a 50-50 game on paper coming into the 2022 season. So, it's not that I don't think we can go undefeated this season with that schedule. I think absolutely that schedule sets up in a way for us to do that. Again, I do think there are some spots that could be tricky for us, but we are going to be favored in every single game that we play and probably by two touchdowns in every game that we play. That's not the reason that I did not place a bet on us to go over 11 and a half. The reason I did not bet on us to go over 11 and a half wins is because the way this line was juiced. It's minus 265. So for those of you who aren't into gambling and don't do this very much or if at all, minus 265, what that means is I have to bet $265 to win $100. Those are terrible odds. There's no way that I'm going to do that. It's just not worth the squeeze. That's the bottom line. It's not especially when you're talking about win totals, because injuries happen, guys. Football is a physical sport. People get hurt. We saw that with JT Daniels last year. Fortunately, Stetson came in and saved the day for us. It was able to still lead us to a national championship. But 
you're talking about 11 and a half. We have to go undefeated. What if there's some injury along the way? What if Stetson gets hurt and Carson Beck or Brock Vandegrift is not ready to come in there and lead the team and we lose the game? So it's just not worth it for me. Now, if someone put a gun to my head and said, Tyler, you have to choose one or the other. Is it more likely that George goes over or under 11 and a half? Well, in that case, I, I would take the over. I think it's far more likely that we go over 11 and a half than it is that we go under. Because again, on paper, we should win every single game on our schedule and we should win every single game on our schedule comfortably. And when we get back from the break, we are gonna turn our attention to some of those games and the early lines that have been put out there for a couple of them. Now, we don't have every line, but we do have some early numbers on a couple of these games and we will take a close look at those in just a minute. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's get into some of these early season game lines. Let's go from the top and let's start with Oregon. Now, if I remember correctly, this line opened at 17. We were a 17 point favorite. It has now ballooned to 18 and a half. So clearly a lot of money was coming in on the good guys early and they have pushed that number up to 18 and a half. Now in the interest of full disclosure, some of you that have been listening for a long time, you know this. I think I mentioned this on the show before. As a general rule of thumb, I do not bet on Georgia football games. I just simply cannot bring myself to do it. I'm already so emotional and nervous about every single game. My intensity is already through the roof and I just can't take any more added pressure on it. So my general rule of thumb is don't bet on Georgia. Just don't do it. I stay away from it. Now, I did place the biggest single bet of my life on the national championship game on us to win and we did. So there I went and broke my own rule, but that was like the exception. I just do not do that. So Went to Chicago, placed some bets. Not one of those bets was on Georgia. But I know this is a Georgia podcast. I know that's where your interest is. So we're going to at least talk about these lines and my thinking on some of these early season lines. In Oregon, minus 18 and a half. Guys, if I had to put money on this one way or the other, I would probably put my money on Oregon. Not to win, but to cover the 18 and a half. That is a big, big number. And I know that you're probably sitting there saying, oh, Tyler, like, how can you possibly say that? And you're probably thinking this makes me a bad Georgia fan. Like, Tyler, dude, like, what are you possibly thinking? 
Well, let me explain this. I do think that we're better than Oregon. I do expect us to beat Oregon. I do think Oregon might give us more of a game, especially for the first half or so, than most Georgia fans are anticipating right now. And we'll talk more about this once we get deeper into the season. I don't want to go too far into it right now because we have a lot of games to talk about. We are going to do our Sky the Enemy series. We're going to open that up here in the next couple of weeks, and we will do a straight-up, hardcore, deep dive into the Oregon Ducks. That's coming up. But just to give you a quick little overview here, Oregon has talent, guys. They are not as talented as we are and really not particularly close because really no one else in the country outside maybe Alabama and Ohio State can say with a straight face that they are on our level from a talent standpoint. Oregon's not there. They are a talented team, probably the most talented team out West, but they are not on our level from a talent standpoint. But they have some talent on defense especially. Now, I know they lose Kayvon Thibodeau. We know that first round NFL draft pick. That's a big loss for them. But they still have a lot of talent in that front seven, particularly. They have a really good defensive line. Their inside linebackers have the chance to be elite. Noah Sewell, if you remember that name from a couple years ago, his brother, Penay Sewell, played left tackle. He's now in the NFL. He's a former first-round draft pick a couple years back. Noah Sewell's an inside linebacker. That dude is a freaking monster on the inside. We almost did the impossible and able to pull him away from his family out west over here at Athens. Glenn Schumann did about as good of a job as you possibly could do. And I was salivating over this guy. Some of you probably remember me doing that a couple years back. I think he is incredibly talented. And last year as a young player, you could see the talent. Now he clearly had some things to work on and sharpen his game, but the skill set was there. He's a big, strong, physical dude that can flat out run. And then the other guy, my action of being better than him, he was hurt all of last year. I think he got hurt either in the preseason or in week one. And that's Justin Flo, who was also another former five-star inside linebacker who was once upon a time, if I remember correctly, committed to Clemson, ends up at Oregon. Mario Cristobal was able to flip him over there to the Oregon Ducks. Highly, highly talented player. So they have two studs on the inside, inside linebacker. They have a good, strong, veteran defensive line. And that is a team, if you think about that formula, that could potentially give us some issues in the run game. And if we are not able to establish the run the way that we want to, are we going to be able to operate our play action game off of it as effectively? Which, you know, that is what we do in the pass game. We run the football, we set up play action, take shots vertically down the field. That's what we did last year with Stetson Bennett back at quarterback. That is what we are going to do again this year. So does it take some of that away? Are they going to force us more into the, the, the straight drop back game? Because I don't know if I love that. We've seen Stetson have to be forced into that role a couple times in his career, and it has not worked out well. And then we also know the Dan Landing factor. You have to factor in Dan Landing here. It's not just that he's a fantastic defensive mind, a fantastic defensive coach, which he is. We all know that. But he also has this familiarity with our program. Now, of course, Kirby Smart and our staff are aware of that as well. We also know his tendency, so it cuts both ways. And Kirby's a very intelligent guy. Our staff is full of smart guys. And they know they're going to have to change some things up. But he still knows our personnel. He understands what Todd Munkin likes to do from an offensive standpoint, his thinking process, all those things, because he's worked with them. He's been at practice with them. He's gone up against them. He's been in meeting rooms with these guys. He's probably knocked back drinks with these guys. He knows these guys. So I don't think you can really undersell the Dan Lenning factor. Now, do I think Dan Lenning is a better coach than Kirby Smart? No, of course not. I do not think that. But it's just the unknown there and just this weird, intriguing setup where we know him, he knows us, 
And it's just a little bit unsettling for me. And then the, their offensive coordinator is a guy named Kenny Dillingham. He's a really young guy. I think he's like 32, 33 years old. He knows Lanning from their Memphis days. I think he was a GA back at Memphis when Lanning was there. He was the offensive coordinator at Auburn for a year in 2019. Most recently, he was the offensive coordinator at Florida State under Mike Norvell, who, of course, he also knew from his days at Memphis. But here's the thing about Kenny Dillingham. He's the ultimate wild card. He has never called plays. He was the OC at Auburn. Gus Malzahn was calling plays. He was the OC at Florida State. Mike Norvell was calling plays. So you can look at his track record and look at the places he's been and the kind of offenses that they run, but it's really hard to look at any sort of tendencies when it comes to play calling because he simply has not done that. So you combine the the unknown factor with Lanning with the unknown factor with Kenny Dillingham, and it's just a really tough team to prepare for because of those things. And then on top of that, you add in the fact that, yeah, we are very experienced on offense. I feel good about that, but we are highly inexperienced on defense. We were fortunate to get some of those guys back. Obviously, Nolan Smith, Chris Smith, Keely Ringo, Jalen Carter. We got Dan Jackson back. So we got some guys back, but there's still going to be a lot of players who have not played a ton of football. And when you have a young, inexperienced group trying to adjust on the fly against an unknown offense, they weren't really able to prep that well for because you just don't exactly know what to expect. I don't want to say that's cause for concern, but it's cause for me to think this game might end up being closer than 18 and a half points. Now, saying all that, you guys do know my feelings on Bo Nix. I have never been a fan of his. I don't think he's particularly good at all. I did think he made some strides towards the end of last year. I do think he's a really good athlete. I'm curious to see if they unleash his athleticism in a way that Gus Malzahn inexplicably was hesitant to do. He is not a drop back passer. He's never going to be a drop back passer, at least not in one year in a new system. That's not going to happen. But I do believe they'll try to play to his strengths. They'll use his athleticism. They'll get him on the move. They'll use him in the quarterback run game, RPO heavy. They'll do all that kind of stuff because that's really what they do anyway, what Memphis has done for a while, what Florida State did, what Gus Malzahn did at Auburn. So I expect to see those kind of things from Kenny Dillingham. You just don't exactly know. But Bo Nix is not a guy that I have a lot of faith in. In fact, him being their quarterback might give me more confidence in our ability to win this game than any other single factor. Like that's what I think of Bo Nix. So yes, I do think that we'll be Oregon We'll go into a lot more detail with this game in the coming weeks and months. But just a a quick little overview here. I do think Oregon's a good, solid team. There's some intriguing elements with this team, especially defensively. The unknown factor offensively with a coordinator who's never called plays, with a new head coach for the first time, getting out on his own. You just don't really know what to expect. So all those things combined, I would say if I had to lean one way, I would pick Oregon to cover the 18 and a half. I think that we win this game and probably win this fairly comfortably, but 18 and a half, man, that's a big number. And then the next line that we have is week three in Columbia, South Carolina. Now, of all the games, let's see how many there are. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of our 12 regular season games have lines on them right now, very early lines, but lines nonetheless. Of all seven of those games... South Carolina is the closest spread, 13.5 point favorite over the Gamecocks in Columbia, South Carolina. It's going to be as hot as the service of the sun, noon kickoff in Columbia. I'm sweating puddles just thinking about it right now, but 13.5. Now, this is a very popular upset pick, just like it was a couple years back. What was it, 2018? 
I think there's a, another podcast out there. It was a SEC Mike. I don't know what the podcast is called, but I saw this on um, social media somewhere that he's already predicting that South Carolina is going to upset Georgia week three in Columbia. And yeah, crazier things have happened. Again, could it happen? Yes, it's college football. Anything could happen. Come on, though. We're going to sit here and predict that that South Carolina team with that roster is going to upset Georgia in week three. You don't think that our guys are hearing about all this just like we did in 2018? Remember DeAndre Baker, right? All the Debo Samuel talk. DeAndre Baker went out there and just shut him down. Our guys hear the talk. They know, and they're going to be ready. I'm fully confident that. In fact, I love this offseason talk. Just I love the offseason talk about Florida all those years. It was their year. They're going to beat Georgia. I love that stuff. Because that gets our guys' attention. What I get concerned about is games that people don't talk about. Teams I think are really good that people are overlooking. And that makes me think our team might not be hyper-focused on them. That's what concerns me. But when you have a team like South Carolina, where you have members of the media that are fawning over them, they're fawning over Shane Beamer and how he's this next great coach. And watch out, they've got Spencer Rattler now. South Carolina could be a sleeper. I don't worry about those games because our guys hear that, our coaches hear that, we will be ready for that game. Now, from an actual matchup standpoint, let's go a little bit more detail on this. I will give South Carolina credit. Williams-Brice is a very tough place to play, especially early in the year, because their fans are still all in. They haven't gotten to the latter part of the year where they have no chance to go to a bowl game or no chance to win the SEC East, no chance to go to Atlanta, whatever it might be, and their season's effectively over and their fans stop showing up. Like They have good fans, they have very loyal fans, but by the end of the year, if they're not having a good year, that place is, I don't wanna say half empty, but it looks like it's sometimes on TV. When we play them in Columbia, unfortunately, we always play them early in the year. So we don't have the luxury of having a half full Williams-Brice Stadium. It's always packed and it's always popping because obviously Clemson is their number one rival, their in-state rival, but in the SEC, they view us as their number one rival. Now, for us, we're like number, I mean, they're like number four or five, if you ask the average Georgia fan for us. I mean, the, I think the average Georgia fan would put Florida and Tech and Auburn and probably Tennessee ahead of South Carolina. But for South Carolina, it's Clemson, then Georgia. They hate us. They want to beat us. Trust me on that, guys. I've been there many times for these games. They loathe Georgia. So it will be a tough environment, but I do think we got a little bit of a break the fact that it is a noon kickoff, I like that. Yes, again, it will be as hot as the surface of the sun, but a noon kickoff is a less hostile environment, we know this, than a night kickoff. It just is, the, just simply facts. And when you look at this South Carolina roster, it's a good roster. I don't wanna say that this is a team that, that's just gonna fall flat on their face, they won't make a bowl game. A lot of the South Carolina hype is based off of how they ended last year. And I do think you need to put that into context. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but if you look at South Carolina's schedule last year, yes, good for them. They end up finishing strong. They went to a bowl game last year. But guys, look at it closely. Look at the context. Look at who they beat. And this is what no one wants to talk about. All these national media members who predicted them to win this game and to have this huge year. Shane Beamer's going to take the SEC by storm. Spencer Rattler's going to turn things around. Well, okay, what's that based off of? Really, really, is it really? Are you basing this off of how they ended last year? Yeah, they beat North Carolina in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Good for you. Nice, odd win. They took it to them. They also lost to Clemson 30 to nothing at home, and that was not a vintage Clemson team. They beat Auburn, who had fallen apart by that point. 
Uh, they beat them 21-17 at home. They beat Florida, who had fallen apart by that point. They lost to Missouri, who was not very good last year. Lost to them. Now, that was in Columbia, Missouri, but they still they lost to Missouri. They got blown out by AM by 30. They still haven't beaten AM since AM came into the league. So, yeah, I know they finished strong, and I'm doing that. I know you can't see this, but quotation marks, because they beat name teams. That's what people look at. They say, okay, well, they beat Florida. They beat Auburn. They beat North Carolina. Florida Auburn, those are two good SEC teams. Yeah, I mean, maybe traditionally, but last year, nah, they weren't. Florida got blown out by UCF in a bowl game. They were a shell of what they were early in the season by that point. Auburn, same story. Got beat by an inferior opponent in a bowl game because they had given up. They were just not in a good place. So I would encourage people to be very hesitant with South Carolina if you're basing the hype off of how they ended last year. Yeah, the numbers looked good, but you also have to factor in who they were playing and the state of those teams when South Carolina ended up playing those teams. Now, from a roster standpoint, I do think Carolina has some players that we should be aware of. I know everybody wants to talk about Spencer Rattler, and he's fine. I know he's a big-time five-star recruit all those years ago. He has done nothing really to impress me at the college level. We know how it went down in Oklahoma last year. He got beat out. His own fans were chanting for the backup quarterback, who, granted, Caleb Williams is a highly recruited guy in his own right. is a good player. But Spencer Rattler was a head case last year. He was inaccurate last year. He lost his confidence last year. Not going to get the confidence back? Sure. I mean, he always struck me as a very arrogant guy, a cocky guy. So I'm sure that won't be much of a problem for him. But the accuracy issues were a real thing last year for him. I don't think he sees the field especially well. He's athletic enough, but he's not as athletic as people give him credit for. Is he really a true five-star prospect the quarterback position? I don't think so. I think he was overrated coming out of high school. I still think he's a good, solid quarterback. I think he is certainly better than anyone they had at that position last year. I will give him that. I will give them that. But I don't think that he is really a true, legit five-star prospect, which is what people still view him as. They say, oh yeah, well, I know he got beat out at Oklahoma last year. But that's just because Caleb Williams is that good. He's a Heisman Trophy candidate this year. So, I mean, you can't really hold that against him. He's still a five-star guy himself. And my response to that is, not really. I know that's what he was rated as, but you watch the guy play, he has never really played at a five-star level during his time at the college level. The one guy that really concerns me for this South Carolina offense is their tight end, Jaheim Bell. He is a new age athletic tight end. He's a, a guy that can flex out, can play in line. He can make you pay in the passing game. I think he is a dynamic player at the tight end position. He is not Brock Bowers, but he's their version of Brock Bowers. They want him to be that. And then Marshawn Lloyd was a guy that we recruited pretty heavily a couple years back. He was a highly rated four-star prospect. I think on some services at some point, he might have been a five-star guy, but he was a top 100 running back. He was hurt all of last year. He's back. He's going to be a good player from that running back. They also got a transfer in from Wake Forest, Christian Beal Smith, who most of you probably don't know him by name right now. But remember Kenneth Walker last year from Michigan State? You could have said the same thing about Kenneth Walker coming in last year. He was also at Wake Forest, transferred into Michigan State, and was a Heisman contender for most of the year. Christian Beale Smith is not on the level of Kenneth Walker, no, but he is a very good running back in his own right. He's a guy that can catch the ball in the backfield. He's a shifty guy in space. Different kind of guy than Kenneth Walker, not as big and physical, but a really good number two guy for South Carolina. Josh Van, I don't think he's an elite number one wide receiver, but he's a very good player for them on the outside. To carry on Joyner in the slot, he's a guy that can make some plays for them. So they have some weapons on offense. I will give them that. 
And I know there are all these concerns about what we're losing on defense. That's very well documented. We're not going to go through all those losses again here. You guys know who's, who we lost and you know who's coming back. But we have a ton of talented players just waiting in the wings, waiting for their turn, and their time is now. So yeah, at the end of the day, I get why this game is the closest line that we've seen so far of the seven games that I was able to find numbers for, 13 half points. There is some talent on offense. They did get an influx of players from the transfer portal, especially at the most important position at quarterback. I also like what they have on their defensive line. They have some really highly rated guys on that defensive front. But at the end of the day, they just don't have the kind of personnel that we do. Their inside linebackers are slow and they're not athletic enough to be able to keep up with our tight ends, with Brock Bowers, with Reed Gilbert, with Darnell Washington. I think they have major questions on the outside at cornerback. I do not like their safeties at all. RJ Roderick is a veteran. He's played a lot of football for them. He's good at run support. He has a massive liability in coverage. I think we have a ton of weapons out wide, not just the tight end position. I love what we have a receiver. I love A.D. Mitchell. I love Lad McConkey. I love Arian Smith. And I just simply do not think that South Carolina has the personnel to hold up for four quarters against our roster. It's just that simple. And honestly, I know people love Shane Beamer. He's he's the next great one, right? That's what you hear. Give me Kirby Smart over Shane Beamer all day, every day. What has Shane Beamer proven? What has Shane Beamer done other than beat some beaten down teams that quit at the end of last year? So this one, unlike the Oregon game, if I had to bet on it, which I'm not going to, but if I had to, Give me the dogs. I see a repeat of 2018 all over again. Okay, I know I spent a lot of time on those first two games. I'm going to try to go a little faster here for you guys. I actually have to get out of here. I don't have a ton of time left, but I'm going to try to get through as many of these as I possibly can. Let's go next here. The next one we've got up here is Auburn. So mid-October now, which I still can't quite get used to playing Auburn in mid-October, but that's where we are with things. Auburn is a 15-point game. We are a 15-point favorite at home against the Auburn Tigers. I don't really get this one, guys. I don't get this line because I'm going to go ahead and look ahead to some of these other games. So they have us favored by 15 at home against Auburn, 15 against Florida and Jacksonville. We are a 15-point favorite at home against Tennessee, a 16-point favorite on the road against Kentucky, and then a 28-point favorite at home against Tech. So what this tells me, they have us as a 15-point favorite at home against Auburn, a 15-point favorite at neutral side against Florida, and a 15.5-point favorite at home against Tennessee, a 16-point favorite on the road against Kentucky. What those lines tell me is that these sports books think that Auburn is better than Florida and Tennessee and Kentucky. And, and maybe they'll be better than Florida. I do not see Auburn being better than Tennessee. I do not see Auburn being better than Kentucky this year. I think it's odd. I don't get this one. I think Auburn has some major issues on the offensive line. And yes, I know who we're losing up front. I know we're losing Jordan Davis. I know we're losing Devontae White. I understand we're losing those guys. But we also have Jalen Carter back. We also have Nolan Smith back. We also have Robert Beal back. We also have Zion Logue back. We also have a defensive front seven littered with four and five-star prospects who just haven't had their chance yet. I think this Auburn offensive line is going to have major issues dealing with our front seven just like they did last year. They lost their leading wide receiver. They're solid at tight end. They have no answer at quarterback right now. As bad as Bo Nix was last year, TJ Finley was even worse. You guys saw him in the Alabama game. He was a train wreck. He was a disaster last year for them. And if it's not him, they brought in Zach Calzada from Texas A&M 
to compete with him. You guys saw Calzada play last year. I know he was a young guy. I think he's got some physical ability, some talent, but he looked like a deer in the freaking headlights last year. Now, maybe as as a year older, the new team, a new program, a new system, he'll be better. But what I saw from him last year was certainly not inspiring. You bring in Robbie Ashford from Oregon as a transfer. I just don't even at this point know who their quarterback's going to be. I don't think either one of those options. I think the top two options are going to be either Finley or Calzada. I don't think Ashford's really a player in this one right now, but I just don't think they have the answer at quarterback. And if you don't have the answer at quarterback, you have a shaky offensive line. Sure, you have Tank Bigsby, who's a fantastic running back. I love Tank Bigsby. But how is that team supposed to come into Athens and remotely compete? Which they're not, but you know, based on this line, they're a 15-point dog. But how is that team going to give us more of a challenge than Tennessee and Kentucky, and I guess even Florida and Jacksonville. I just, I don't quite get that one. So if I had to bet on this one, give me the dogs to to cover the 15 there. I wouldn't bet on it again, because I don't do that. But if I had to one way or the other, give me Georgia minus 15 against Auburn. Next up, let's go to Jacksonville, where we will face Florida in the annual cocktail party. Just like I said a minute ago, we are a 15 point favorite in Jacksonville as of right now. And that sounds about right to me. I think the talent gap is still way too big right now. I know the Florida fans, as they should be, they're excited to get rid of Dan Mullen, who was just the clown of all clowns. We know that. And Billy Napier, I I hate to give them credit. I think it was a good hire. I do think Billy Napier is cut from the right claw from what I've seen from him in the past. He comes from the, the, uh, the Nick Saban tree. He's a good recruiter. He understands the Saban process, how to build a program, an organization, all those things. I do think give them some time. He will upgrade that roster, but that's not this year. The talent gap is still way too big. I think the only way Florida keeps this within 15 is if Anthony Richardson at quarterback turns out to be a superstar. If that's the case and he's like a Heisman Trophy level type talent this year, then all bets are off and maybe they could keep it within 15. But absent that, which I don't think is likely at this point, as we saw Anthony Richardson play last year, yes, he has some raw talent, but he is, I did not see anything from him last year to lead me to believe that he is a superstar in the making. I know Florida fans want to get excited, want to believe that. I know the national media gets excited about those kind of things this time of year, but I base it off what I've seen. Yeah, he's athletic, but I have not seen that guy do anything to suggest to me that he is a big-time superstar-type quarterback. There's a lot of talented players out there. There's a lot of athletic guys. That doesn't mean that they're going to end up being superstars. So I'll believe it when I see it from him. And I'll also throw this in there. I, I do think that we're going to have some growing pains on defense early in the year. That's one of the things that also gives me a little bit concerned about covering the 18.5 against Oregon Week 1. But what is going to be a young, relatively inexperienced defense to open the year will not be a young and inexperienced defense by the time we get to Jacksonville and the cocktail party. So I think we have that going for us as well. I love what we have offensively. I don't think they have the talent on defense to remotely keep our offense in check. So I like us to win this game. I like us by two plus touchdowns. If I had to pick, I would pick us to cover this game, cover the 15 right here, right now on May 30th. And that brings us to Tennessee. Now, if you're looking at the schedule right now before the season, I think Tennessee might be the most talented team on our schedule at least from an offensive standpoint I don't think Tennessee has difference makers defensively like when I look at that team on offense I do think they have difference makers I think that Hendon Hooker is a difference maker quarterback I think that 
Cedric Tillman has the potential to be a difference maker at wide receiver. Brew McCoy was a former five-star player back uh, what three or four years ago now. I think this is the third time he's transferred. He originally committed to Texas, then Southern Cal, and now he's left Southern Cal. He's at Tennessee. So he's also got some domestic violence things that he's kind of dealing with. So who knows if he's even going to be playing for them. I don't know. We'll see that plays out. But he's a talented player. When he played at USC, he made plays for them. So they have some potential difference makers on offense. I just don't know who those guys are on defense. And that's one of this, these teams that I've been watching closely the past couple of weeks. I do think that they are a talented team. And I've, I've gone back and watched several of their games already from last year. And I, I like what you see offensively. They have this the up-tempo pace to keep you off balance. They like to spread the field, utilize the entire field. But on defense, like they're, they're not terrible but they just don't have difference makers. And if you don't have difference makers on defense, how are you going to stop what I have been very open in saying all throughout the offseason that I believe is going to be the best Georgia offense in the history of our football program? I just don't see how they're going to be able to slow us down, especially up front. They just don't have difference makers up front. I think we'll be able to control line of scrimmage and be able to run the ball effectively. If we were able to do that, then we can work the play action off of that. And if we can work the play action game, then we are very, very difficult to handle offensively, especially with the talent that we have on that side of the ball this year. But this is a big number for a Tennessee team that I do think is a talented team, especially offensively, where I do think they have some difference makers. I don't know which way I would lean on this. I, I wouldn't touch this line. I could see this game being like a, a two-touchdown game or a, you know, a 10 to 14-point game. I could also see us winning this game by 17 to 24 points. I think Tennessee might be able to keep it close for a half or so, but I think it's one of those games that our talent, our depth will just win out in the end. Because here's the thing about the Tennessee offense. They run with this pace, right? And that really works to their advantage in the first half of games. But when they're going that fast, it's not just their really well-conditioned wide receivers and tight ends and quarterbacks and running backs who are having to run up and down the field and go at this rapid pace. Their offensive linemen have to do that too. And teams just don't rotate along the offensive line. So you get late in the game and they're still trying to operate at that breakneck pace. Their offensive line is sucking air. Those guys are dead. And when you look at our defensive line, I know that we're losing some big time players up front, but we still have a ton of talent and we rotate consistently up front. We are fresh. Think about that game last year, guys. We dominated the second half because we were fresh, especially on defense, when their offensive line just wasn't. And so if we're already that talented, plus we're going to be able to run guys in and out, keep them fresh, and that Tennessee offensive line is just going to be sucking air late in the game, I think that will work to our advantage. I think we pull away late. So if I had to go one way or the other, I guess I would lean towards us win this game, like maybe 41-24, something like that. So I guess I would pick us to cover this one, but again, I, I would stay away from this line. At least right now. I'd wait until we get into the season and see how each team looks, see how Tennessee looks, see if anybody emerges on defense, see if there's an injury situation. Right now, I would definitely stay away from that one. Then Kentucky in Lexington. Always a fun trip. I love going to Kentucky. I think this Kentucky team is going to be a very good football team. I have a ton of respect for Mark Stoops and the way he runs that team, the type of teams he puts together, just tough, hard-nosed, gritty football teams. I know the general consensus is that they have solved their quarterback issues with Will Levis. He's right now being projected as a potential first-round draft pick next year, and he has tools. I will certainly allow him that. He's got tools. He's big, strong, physical, has a strong arm, and he kind of took the world by storm the first game or two last year. And Even I was extolling how great he was and how he was their answer at quarterback, but then the rest of the season happened and you got more of a sample size with Levis. And you saw that 
there are a lot of consistency issues. He's not a great decision maker. His accuracy is erratic. When they call play action shots down the field, he's going to throw that football come hell or high water. At least what we saw last year. Maybe that changes this year and they coach it out of him. But last year, if they called a play action shot, a go route, he was throwing that football. It didn't matter if it was double or triple covered. It did not matter if the receiver fell down. He was putting the ball up in the air. He just put the ball in harm's way far too much last year. His touchdown interceptions splits were not good. They were actually the worst in the SEC. But he is an athletic, big physical guy that can do some quarterback run game with him. I see why teams like him long term with the physical upside, but I just don't know above the shoulders if he's there yet. He's, he wasn't there last year. Again, maybe with another year in the system, well, I guess it's a new system now because Liam Cohen moved on and went back to the NFL. But maybe another year in college, he sharpens some of those things. He learns more. Because last year, was his, I mean, that was his first year as a starter. He was a backup at Penn State to Sean Clifford. And he played a couple games when Clifford was out, but he wasn't their starting quarterback. So maybe last year was growing pains. But I just I didn't see him perform in a way that would suggest to me that he's going to be a first-round NFL draft. But, but you know how the NFL works. Right? They're, they're trying to project, looking at potential. It's not so much about production all the time with quarterbacks. So maybe he will go in the first round, but I just didn't see that guy last year. But Chris Rodriguez, if he can stay out of legal trouble, he just got arrested for a DUI. There's some smoke brewing that he might have another legal issue. I don't know what's going on there, but he's as good of a running back as there is in the SEC. They do lose their top two receivers in Wondale Robinson, who was fantastic for them as a transfer coming over from Nebraska last year, and then Josh Ali. So yeah, they do have some really nice returning pieces in, in Levis and Rodriguez, but they're also missing some big-time playmakers from last year. Defensively, they're always solid, at the very least solid on that side of the ball. But again, I, I just don't see the difference makers on defense right now for that Kentucky roster. I Just like with Tennessee, I just don't see those potential difference makers. You lose Josh Pascal, you lose Quentin Bohanna, you lose Yusuf Corker at safety. Those are some big time players on that Kentucky defense. And yes, I have a lot of respect for Mark Stoops and what he does as a defensive guy. I mean, he's a hard-nosed defensive guy at heart. He always coaches up that defense, but they don't recruit like we do. When they lose players like Yusuf Corker and Josh Paschal and Quentin Bohan that lead their defense, they don't have the guys weighing the wings every year. They can just plug and play. They don't have those guys. It's not a reloading thing. They have to kind of rebuild. But Lexington can be a tough place to play, especially if it ends up being a night game, which we'll see. You never know. It's hard to predict those things. But it's a tough place to play. It's a team I have a lot of respect for. I do think that they have some good pieces, especially on offense. That crowd will obviously be jacked up to play the defending national champion. Like all the teams on our schedule, I think we're better than Kentucky. I think we'll beat Kentucky. But 16 on the road in Lexington, that's a big number. Of course, we can cover that. But if I had to bet on that, I would probably bet on Kentucky to cover the 16. And finally, the last game that we have an early line out there for is Georgia Tech. I think this is on FanDuel. It's the only place I was able to find this line. FanDuel has us as a 28-point home favorite over Georgia Tech. Look, guys, this is a put-up-or-shut-up year for Geoff Collins. We all know that. He knows the team knows that the fans know it. Half their fans, if not more, want him gone already. Talk about talent gaps and roster disparities. These are two teams, not even in, on different planets, these are two teams in different solar systems right now from a talent standpoint, from a roster standpoint. Sure, Jeff Sims coming back at quarterback. Cool, good for you, I guess. This is going to be his third year as a starter, missed large chunks of last year. Talented player, but his running mate, Jameer Gibbs, oh yeah, he's in Tuscaloosa now. They were trying to build that offense around those two guys, around 
Sims and Gibbs. Well, Sims is still around, missed a lot last year, still a guy that can that can make some plays for them, can do some things, but there's just not enough around him to even remotely threaten us, especially here in Athens. We have beaten the Nerds by an average of 36 points over the last four years. We've beaten them by an average of 45 points over the last two years. What has changed between now and then? Besides, we've gotten more talented and they've gotten less talented. And their coach is now in the hot seat. Nothing else has changed. We are going to destroy Georgia Tech like we always destroy Georgia Tech. That's just going to happen. Go ahead right now, guys. If you're asking me which of these early lines do I feel most confident in, it's this one. It's this one, guys. Again, I don't bet on us. I'm not going to do that, but some of you don't have any issues with that. If you're looking for a line, that's the one. That's the early season line. Go ahead and put your money on that one. I don't see any way in hell that Tech keeps that game within 28 points. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, so that was our look at the early Georgia Bulldog-specific lines, but now I want to expand our horizons just a little bit here, and I want to give you some of my best bets here in the offseason looking ahead to the 2022 football season. I told you that I don't bet on Georgia, but I do bet on college football, and I was in Chicago over the weekend, and I want to give you guys some of these teams that I actually put some money on, and the one that I am most confident in is Arkansas. Now, I had to shop around a little bit, but I did find a win total at six and a half for Arkansas. Six and a half. Guys, I really like this Arkansas team. Now, they are losing some key players from last year, but they also have a lot returning. I know Traylon Burks is the big headliner. He was as good of a receiver as there was in the SEC last year. I told you guys that coming in last year, and he lived up to the hype. He's that good. First-round draft pick in the NFL now. Great player. But they also went out and got a former five-star from Oklahoma in Jaden Hazelwood, who has been injury-prone his first couple years, basically missed his entire freshman year, played some last year, made more of an impact last year, was certainly not their number one receiver. But I still believe Hazelwood had showed me enough last year to believe he has that kind of potential. I don't believe he's going to be as good as Burks, because Burks was that good. But Hazelwood can come in there, and he can fill that void as a number one receiver for them. And you throw him in there with Warren Thompson, you have a nice one-two punch at receiver for Arkansas. But here's probably what I like more about Arkansas than anything. There are very few teams every year that come into a year returning their head coach, both coordinators, and their quarterback. Arkansas is one of those teams going into 2022. Sam Pittman is back. Kendall Bryles is back on offense. And Barry Odom is back on defense. And K.J. Jefferson is back at quarterback. This is also year three with Sam Pittman. We know Sam Pittman's track record with offensive lines. This is the third year that he's had to build this offensive line. And considering Arkansas's offense is built around a run game, that's a very good sign for them. And then you get your top two running backs back with Dominic Johnson, Raheem Sanders, 
KJ Jefferson's a major factor in the run game for them, a tough, physical, downhill runner as a quarterback. They do a lot of different creative things with him at, at quarterback and his ability to run the football and be a true dual threat player. I love this Arkansas offense. They know who they are. They have an identity. They've established an identity. They have a lot of momentum within the program with how they finished last year. Bumper Pool, Jaden Catalan are back on defense. Got a five-star transfer from Alabama and Drew Sanders, who's a really good player. He was a starter for Alabama last year at outside linebacker. But he got injured, and then Dallas Turner came in, grew up, and he's going to be a freak for them. So Drew Sanders saw the writing on the wall. He transferred out to Arkansas, and he's going to be, I think, a pretty big-time player for Arkansas this year. Very talented player. And they also get Eric Gregory back, who was their top pass rusher from a year ago. So they have a lot of talent coming back on what was a good defense last year. They have key playmakers come back on offense, a lot of continuity within that team, the coaching staff, the quarterback standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. I really, really like this Arkansas team. And then you look at the schedule. They open with Cincinnati at home. I know Cincinnati was in the playoff last year. I am fully aware of that. Cincinnati also lost a ton of talent off the best team in program history. I like Arkansas to win that game in Fayetteville. South Carolina comes calling in week two. I do think South Carolina will be improved. I just happen to think Arkansas is better, especially at home. That's a win. Missouri State, that's a win. AM, I would say, is a toss-up game, right? Alabama, that's a loss. Alabama's going to win that football game. Mississippi State, I think, is a toss-up game. At BYU, I think BYU is going to be very good this year. In fact, we're going to come back to them in a minute here. I'm going to say BYU wins that football game. I think that's a loss. At Auburn, I think Arkansas is better than Auburn this year. I know that's in Auburn, Alabama. Give me Arkansas to win that game. Liberty at home. That's going to be a good football team again this year with Hugh Freeze. But give me Arkansas to win that game. That's five wins. LSU at home. I guess let's be generous. Call that a toss-up game. Ole Miss at home. Let's be generous. Call that a toss-up game. At Missouri, I think that's a win. So that's six wins that I see right there. So the toss-up games, I've got versus A&M. At Mississippi State's a toss-up game. LSU, Ole Miss, toss-up games. By my calculations, how I just did that schedule, they need one of those four toss-up games to be a win. If they get one win between AM at a neutral site in Arlington, Texas, Mississippi State on the road, LSU, Ole Miss at home, they go over six and a half, get to seven. So to me, that's a no-brainer. When I went down and predicted every game in their schedule, I had Arkansas, let me pull my helmet schedule out here. I think I had them at nine wins. Let's confirm this. I had Arkansas at, yes, at Arkansas at nine and three. So again, my rule of thumb is if I'm going to bet on you to go over your win total, I have to project you to go over that win total by two games, to clear it by two games. And Arkansas's numbers at six and a half, I got them going nine and three. It could be eight and four, sure, whatever. I don't care. Just get to seven, Arkansas. I think they do. I feel very, very confident in that. In fact, I feel so confident in that. I went 15 units on Arkansas to go over six and a half. Absolutely love that pick. Speaking of picks that I absolutely love, the other one that I feel very, very good about is a team that's probably going to take some of you by surprise. You're not going to be expecting this one. You're probably going to be shaking your head, scratching your head, saying, huh, like, what are you talking about, Tyler? And I'm talking about the Texas Christian University Horned Frogs. Give me TCU over six. And yes, I know that sounds crazy. TCU was not good last year. They did not make a bowl game last year. Gary Patterson got fired. In comes Sonny Dykes. And that's like the one hesitation I have is the fact that it's a new coaching staff. And Sonny Dykes has been 
good as a head coach, but he's never been great. He's never really had an elite team. He's had some good SMU teams, had a good Cal team once or twice. Also had a couple losing seasons there. He just never put it all together and had like an elite team. So that does give me some pause there. But when you look at this TCU team, they are returning basically everybody. Now, I know they weren't very good last year, but they have a ton of returning talent. If you look at Bill Conley's returning production numbers, they are top 10. They are ninth nationally in returning production. Not returning starters, returning production, which I think is a far more relevant stat. They returned 82% of their offensive production, including their starting quarterback, Max Duggan, including one of the best receivers that no one knows about in the Big 12 in Quentin Johnston, including Kendra Miller. I know everyone's talking about Zach Evans. I know he's transferred to Ole Miss now. We know him from recruiting. Of course, we know Zach Evans. And he was a really good player for them last year when he was not in trouble and he was healthy. But Kendra Miller was a far more reliable back for them. He's back along with Amiri DiMarcado is another really good running back for them. They have a lot of talent coming back on offense. Defense was the issue for them last year. And hiring a guy like Sonny Dykes doesn't really fit fix that because he is an offensive guy by trade, but I think they're going to be so good on offense. And here's the other thing. It's not just what they have coming back. It's, just, it's not just how good I think they're going to be on offense. It's also what else is going on around them in the Big 12. I just don't see any powerhouse team in the Big 12. Oklahoma losing Lincoln Riley is still going to be good. They're still a talented team, but are they going to be as good as they have been in recent years under Lincoln Riley when you're making a transition to Brent Venables, who's more of a defensive guy? We saw what it's like with Kirby Smart coming in as a defensive guy, trying to establish his culture in year one. We had a lot of talented players, but it wasn't exactly pretty. I could see something like that happening for Oklahoma. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas is a very talented team, but last year, like that was when they went through their transition. Are they through that period now? Are they through the transition? Have they established their culture? Quinn Ewers, is he ready to step in and be the guy at quarterback? Or is it going to be Hudson Card? There's still a lot of questions there. I like B. John Robinson. I do think Texas will be very, very good. But there are a lot of questions outside of Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12. Iowa State, I think, is going to take a massive step back. Iowa State, their returning production is in the 120s. Let's see what they were last year. Yeah, they're 128th national out of 131 teams in returning production. I always say it's another one of those teams like Kentucky where they have to build up to that, right? They had a, a team last year supposed to be the best team in program history, and they won seven games. Most of the players that had them so excited about last year, Brees Hall, Brock Purdy, Charlie Kohler at tight end, those guys are gone. So Iowa State, I think it's going to take a step back. Baylor, I think they played above their heads last year. Their top two running backs, those guys are gone. I think there'd be a good solid team, but I don't see them being a Big 12 championship type team again this year. Kansas State, they'll be what Kansas State is between six and eight wins. Kansas, be what Kansas is, two to three wins probably. West Virginia's interesting with JT Daniels, but really, where are those teams that scare you in the Big 12? I think the Big 12 is open for TCU to go in and easily cover that win total that is set at six. In fact, let's see what I had at TCU. I had TCU, I got TCU going 10 and two right now. That's why I have TCU. I think they lose to Texas and they'll lose to either Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, probably one of those two teams. And you know what? Maybe they'll lose all three of those games. That's fine. I don't care. Again, they only have to win seven games. And if they win six, which I think is almost, I, you, can't, you can never say guaranteed, but six is very, very likely to get at least six. And if they get to six, I push. I don't lose any money. So 
Just like with Arkansas, I went heavy on TCU. I didn't go 15 units, but I went 13 units on TCU to go over six. And the final team that I put some money on to go over a win total is the BYU Cougars. I got them at seven and a half, over seven and a half on Caesars, I believe it was. And let's go down their schedule real quick here, guys. Well, first off, before we go to the schedule, let's just look at why I'm high on BYU. Again, let's go back to returning production. I watched a lot of BYU last year. BYU is a 10-win team last year, guys. They were a very, very good team. And they have the second most returning production in all college football of a 10-win team last year. 80% of their offensive production returns from last year, including Jaron Hall, their top quarterback. 97% of their defense returns from a 10-win team last year. That right there is eye-catching. There are only seven teams in all of college football coming into 2022 that finished last year in the S&P Top 50 and are also in the Top 30 in returning production. BYU is one of those teams. This is going to be a very good football team in 2022. My only concern about BYU is the schedule because they're an independent. They do play a pretty tough schedule. But if you look at the schedule, let's go down to here real quick. At UCF, I know it's on the road. Give me a win there. Baylor in Provo. Baylor, I know, won the Big 12 last year. I think BYU is poised to be better than Baylor this year, especially at home. So give me, I mean, I feel pretty good about that one. Give me BYU to beat Baylor at home. At Oregon, we're going to call that a toss-up. Wyoming at home. I'm going to say BYU's got that one. Utah State, it's kind of a little bit of a rivalry game, but that's that's at BYU. So that's four wins right there if I give them that one. Versus Notre Dame at a neutral site in Vegas. I think that BYU can absolutely win this game, but let's just be generous and call this a toss-up game. at Ar- or Arkansas at home, I do, and this one's tough. I don't like to bet on two teams that actually play each other, but whatever. I, I think that BYU is going to beat Arkansas. I can see Arkansas winning this game, but either way, if Arkansas wins, I still see BYU going over. If BYU wins, I still see Arkansas going over, so I'm fine with that. Liberty, I think that's a win. That's five. Um, East Carolina, that's a win. That's six. Boise State, we'll call that a toss-up. Dixie State, that's a win. That's seven, right? At Stanford, we can call that a toss-up if you want, but if you go back to the toss-ups, at Stanford, at Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas, Boise State, win one of those games. If they win one of those five toss-up games, they go over seven and a half. I have BYU at 10 and two. I think BYU easily clears seven and a half. I'm very high on this football team. They return a ton of talent, including the most important position on the field with Jaron Hall, who is a really talented player. I really like this team. Watched them a lot last year. was very impressed. I think Kalani Sataki is a really good football coach. I mean, guys, their players like 27 years old. They go on their missions. They come back. They're just bigger, older, stronger than everyone else they play against. And I like this team. So I got them going over seven and a half. I didn't go quite as big. I think 10 units on BYU. But those are the three win totals I feel best about. I was close on putting a couple more down. I like Iowa over seven and a half. The reason I held off on that one, I could get that one at plus 140 juice. I like that a lot. But they drew, unfortunately for them, they drew Michigan and Ohio State from the Big Ten East. Don't love that. But I still think Iowa goes over. But I had them going eight and four conservatively. And that's not enough for me to um, to put that money on them. I really like Clemson under 10 and a half. I think Clemson's got two losses on that schedule. If they were at NC State, I would definitely have them losing that game this year. I think NC State's probably better than Clemson, but the fact that it's in Death Valley, that gives me some pause there. It's a really tough place to play, even if I don't think Clemson is the same caliber program they have been in years past, but I like them to lose two games. 
just not enough to actually put money on that one. I also like Iowa State to go under seven and a half. Like I said earlier, they had a, a team that they had built to last year. Those guys are all gone and they're supposed to be better than last year. They didn't get over seven wins last year. So I like I like Iowa State under seven and a half. I like Utah over eight and a half, and they're probably gonna win the Pac-12. I also like Purdue to go over seven. I came dangerously close to putting that bet down on Purdue. I backed off at the last second. In fact, I still regret that. I wish I could kind of go back to Chicago and put that money on Purdue now. I just, I'd put too much money down. Honestly, again, I like to gamble. I'm not a degenerate gambler. I went with the three win totals I felt best about, but if there was a next best one, it was Purdue. That was probably number four for me, but I just held off on bit on that one. But I think Purdue goes over seven. I think I, I have them at nine and three. I think they go over seven pretty easily. In fact, I think they could potentially win the uh, the Big Ten the Big Ten West and Iowa I like Iowa too that's the other thing like Iowa and Purdue I like both those win totals but they're in the same division and there's no way that I'm gonna bet on two teams go over in the same division when they have to play each other I just don't like that it just makes me feel uncomfortable so I just decided not to bet on either one of those but I do like Iowa over seven and a half and I like Purdue over seven I think I like Purdue over seven more because they don't draw draw Ohio State or Michigan from the Big Ten West a much easier much more manageable schedule. All right, guys. Well, that does it for me today. And man, that felt good. It feels incredible to talk some actual hardcore college football. I had so much fun over the past couple weeks doing all this research, looking at all the rosters, watching all these games, looking at the schedules, printing off helmet schedules, picking every single game. I've been like the, the proverbial little kid in the candy store over the past couple weeks because I've just been like immersed in college football. And that is what I love most. And this, it was fun. It was fun to do that. And it was a lot of fun to get on here and actually talk about college football and not just focus on storylines that everyone wants to talk about. The NILs, the transfer portals, Saban versus Jimbo, all the stuff that everyone's talking about 27 hours out of every single day this time of year. So it was good to kind of get away from that stuff and actually talk some football, which is what we all truly love to do. So thank you guys for listening. I know that was a lot of information in a short amount of time. I tried to streamline it as much as I could because... Otherwise, this episode would have been about seven hours long. I'm like, I'm serious. I'm looking at all my notes here, my pages, my helmet schedules, and I had to leave a lot of stuff out, but I want to give you guys a little bit of taste. They're obviously focusing on the Georgia side of things first and then give you some of my best bets as well. And maybe we'll talk some more about this. If you guys enjoy this kind of talk, if you like me talking lines and win totals and things like that, let me know. And we'll talk more of this on the show. I'm into it. I just don't know how much of a demand there is for it on your side of things. So just let me know. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UJ. You can also email us at gloryujapodcast at gmail.com and we'll do whatever you guys want us to do. That's what this show's for. We want to make sure we produce the kind of stuff that you guys want to hear us talk about. So if more stuff like this is something you're interested in, let us know and we'll make it happen. But again, hope you guys had an awesome Memorial Day weekend. Have a great rest of the week. Curtis should be back on me later this week. I don't make any promises because I know I made that promise last week and it didn't end up working out, but that's the plan as of right now, so make sure to check back then. But thank you for listening. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dog.